Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Good morning. It is good to be with you. Good to open the word uh, together. Uh, my name is Jarrett. I'm our student pastor. If I've never met you, I would love to change that afterwards. But uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today as we wrap up a five-week break from the book of John. Next week, we will be back in the Gospel of John, and I'm excited about that. Uh, but today, we are going to wrap up this little tiny break talking about our church DNA, things that make our church our church, things that make us us. And today we're going to cover this last one, which is ready to launch. Being made ready to launch. And we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. The way I think about these uh, sections of DNA is like how a forest flows through a river. If you've ever hiked in Colorado or in the Smoky Mountains, you know that any good hiking trail involves water. Like there's a stream you follow or there's a waterfall at the end that you get to uh, mess around in. That's what makes it uh, beautiful. That's what gives it distinction. And this is kind of how I think about uh, these, uh, these DNA pieces these values, that they give us distinction, they give us beauty, they give us life, but they flow out of one source, and that source is the gospel. That's where we start, and that's where we're going to end, is the gospel, and how it ties everything uh, together. So uh, the five that we have, or the four that we've covered so far, is that we would be about gospel transformation, we'd be saturated with scripture, that we would be a family, church's family, Neighbor is a verb, and today is being ready to launch. Ready to go? Ready good? Okay, so uh, I saw a video this weekend uh, of, well, I'm sorry if this grosses you out, but it's a video about rats. And uh, they did a study, uh, some university somewhere did a study on rats, and you take one rat, you put him in a cage, and you give him nothing in the cage at all but two water bottles. Maybe you've seen this before. One water bottle, you know the ones where they can like get up and like drink out of it. Uh, They give one healthy water and then the other one is drugged water with some drugs that would get you and I in a bunch of trouble. So imagine these rats. Well, uh, unsurprisingly, which of the two water bottles do you think the rat always chose? The bad water and meets a very quick end during uh, because of choosing that water. So you do the same study and you put a rat, not the same rat, you put a new rat in the new cage. This cage is called rat heaven. Inside this cage is, is, is like bedding and it's got toys, it's got wheels it can run on, it's got little balls it can play with, it's got cheese, it's got friends, other rats running around in there. And it also still has the same two water bottles, one good and one bad. Which, how do you think those rats did? Hey, great. They would never even touch the drugged water, and if they did, they wouldn't go back to it because they've got a whole bunch of other stuff going on. And somehow they figured out that, okay, if I want to live a healthy life, and if I want to somehow get out of this cage someday, there are things that I can do in here, inside the cage, that enable me to live a healthy life, both in here and out there. So if you're tracking with me, this is what I'm getting at. There are things that we can do inside our church as part of our body that are really good and they are for your strengthening and they are for your equipping. But if they don't take you out 
And if they don't enable you to live a healthy and a ministry-minded life, even outside of here, as we dismiss here in a few moments, then, like, what, what are we doing? We're, we're missing something that those rats somehow figured out. So in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read about this and uh, dive into what that can look like in our church family. So if you're meeting me in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 11. And he, God, gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind, and doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay. So back to verse eleven. That's where we're gonna start. Verse eleven. We've been given these offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. These are gifts to the body of Christ. But if you look at this whole section, really from chapter, the beginning of chapter 4 down to this point, the whole section is really about things that God has given to his people. Gifts, gifts of grace that he has given to his church. So you find verse 11, or not verse 11, sorry, verse 7. Verse 7, grace just up a little bit, grace was given to each one of us. Grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is how Christ has apportioned it out. It's how he has divided it up. does not mean that he has given more grace to some and less grace to some. No, it is, that, it is this. Jesus has given his church variety. And he's given his church uniqueness. And he's given all of us differences. Which means we're not uniform, it means that we are united. So, uh, this is how God has designed, it's how he has brought up his church, that he has given each and one, every one of us um, distinct gifts. Okay, so if you look at Galatians 5, you'll see fruit of the Spirit. These are things that every Christian is, is not only commanded to have, but things that we push towards, things that we try to attain, things that we have to try to grab, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness gentleness, and the most important one, self-control. These are things that we are, are, are called to have, every single one of them for every single one of us through the Spirit. But he also gives spiritual gifts. You can read about them in 1 Corinthians 12. Distinct things that you feel like, yes, God has given me this kind of gift. God has given me this skill. God has given me this, uh, this sensitivity in order to love people really, really well. God has given me this spiritual gift. Those are unique. Those are distinct. They make you... Uh, you. God created you with that in mind. But then he also gives um, equipping gifts. But before we talk about those, I want to take a look at those first two, because the equipping gifts, those are for these offices, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. God gives equipping gifts to some. We call them sometimes pastors. 
But before you sit back and before you say, okay, that's not me, so I'm just going to listen to Jared talk about himself, that's not my goal here, like, at all, okay? Um, Fruits of the Spirit and spiritual gifts and things that God has given us by His grace are, are really quite amazing because they pushed us into this idea that, like we talked about uh, a few weeks ago, that church is family. Church is family, and God has united us and grabbed us as a group and taken us out of captivity. You can see this in verse, uh, verse 8. Uh, if you look down, it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to them. So this quote's actually Psalm 68, and it really takes the whole psalm, like all of the verses, and scrunches it down into this uh, very conveniently. Uh, Here's here's the picture that it paints, Psalm 68. A man, God, comes into our captivity, grabs us, and liberates us from that captivity— And while he is taking us out, while he is rescuing us, he's turning around and giving us gifts, strength, power. He's empowering us and equipping us as he is rescuing us. So this picture of us being not not so much following God as much as he is ripping us out of our captivity by his grace, this picture shows me a couple things. I think we tend to think about freedom from our sin, freedom from our bondage, like we sang out a few few minutes ago, things that bury us. Um, We tend to think about freedom from those things as the end goal. Like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to love Jesus. But if he can give me freedom from this X, Y, or Z, everything's good. I'm free. What this tells me is that freedom and liberation is literally, it's step one. And then there is so, so, so much more. There's so much more. God wants to not only save and free you, but he wants to turn around and give you gifts and build you up individually as you follow him. Are you tracking with me on that? Freedom is not the ultimate goal. It's step one. And then there is so much more, which means that life with Christ is so much better than life as uh, or, or with just part of him, or if he is just part of your life. It is total devotion. It is total surrender. So the Holy Spirit inhabits us, not to a fraction, not to a degree, not just a little bit, the entire way, saving and liberating you while also uh, equipping you and building you up. So which other mean, it means this, that you don't have a free pass. I don't have a free pass. Living a ministerial life, a life full of ministry and a life sent in obedience to Jesus' words in Matthew 28 when he says, go and make disciples. It starts with this, to be a disciple yourself. So being part of the family of God means, yeah, we have fruits of the Spirit, we have spiritual gifts, and we are being a disciple. But then we have these equipping Gifts. So, quick overview for the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Quick overview. I like to think of it like this. The apostles and prophets are foundational. Apostles and prophets are foundational. They're foundational for how the church has been raised up, for how it has grown. They're foundational for um, explaining God's word because they stand in the wind or they stand in the wake 
and say, this is the truth of God's word. Here it is, and this is how we're going to say it. And they, and they are foundational for the way the church has been um, founded, really. They're foundational. Evangelists are different. Evangelists are invitational. They, word picture here, they look at the sheep pen. Or they look at the flock. And they say, hey, look, there, there's an open gate over here. There's an open gate, and there's a people over here. And pointing through carrying the gospel, they point to that open gate and say, go to them. Evangelists are invitational. They carry the gospel and point people towards flocks and towards a family. And then you have shepherds and teachers. Your Bible should have an and in between shepherds and teachers. Do you see that? Because this is one office, one person with two qualities that they shepherd but then they also teach what are they they are simply this they are people inside that pen that the evangelist pointed to and they are people who say okay come on come on in and then i'm gonna show you we're gonna teach you we're gonna do this with you so they are instructional apostles prophets foundational evangelists invitational pastors are instructional, instructional by life and by word. So we see them, God has given these leaders to the church. For what purpose? For what purpose? This is why I said you don't have a, 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 you can't sit out here because they equip you for a specific purpose. You can find this in verse 12. To equip the who? To equip the There we go. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then identify at least three things in these next few verses that are are part of the building up of the ministry. One is unity of the faith. Two is knowledge of Jesus. And number three is sound doctrine. So let's walk through those uh, really quickly. Number one, a unity. A unity that we all attain to. A unity that we, as a church family, grasp. A unity that we um, attain and align ourselves with. Unity of the faith. This passage is really cool. It's kind of like a Wikipedia document. It hyperlinks itself all over the place. It says, what is faith? What is this unity of the faith? Okay, what is the faith? Look up at verse 1 through 6, really. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It says this, I therefore, prisoner Paul, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, not a weak life, a life that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then 4 through 6 gives us seven things, seven foundational things to, to, to note. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Seven things. Unity of the faith means this. Well, it doesn't mean that you can look across the room and say, okay, all of us are exactly the same and all of us agree on everything. We don't. Unity is not, uh, okay, I look across the room and, yeah, you're exactly like me. Or I look at other churches who are meeting right now in our city and say, yeah, we do everything just like you. We don't. Right? Unity of the faith is this. Both in here and the unity between those other churches and the unity of our church with other churches, which we are 
actively involved in, and I'm thrilled to say that your church and our church is is uh, walking alongside other churches. Um, you can see it really tangibly. You don't have to look hard. Uh, unity between those churches and unity in our church means, yeah, we don't do everything the same, but our dependence is the same. We depend on Him. We depend on the gospel. Our dependence on God is the one thing that unites us, unity in the faith. So it's not unity in one person, it's not unity in one schedule, unity in one building, in one location. It is unity in faith, one faith, one spirit that unites all of us uh, together. Which means this, because of the gospel, you on the far end over here can look on the far end over here and to everybody in between and say, because of the gospel, I have everything in common with you. Everything in common with you. Even though we live totally different lives, even though we're in totally different phases of life, I have everything in common with you because of the gospel. This is unity in faith. Number two, knowledge of the Son of God. Our second value in this series, if you remember it, has been uh, or was saturated with Scripture. We want to be saturated with Scripture so that when we are squeezed, what comes out of us but God's Word and nothing else. So being saturated with Scripture means that we are striving after knowing the God of this Bible. Um, you can notice in here there's, a, there's, a, um, there's two words that we want to strive after, mature manhood, comma, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what does it mean to strive after mature manhood? Well, I think, that the, I think what Paul is saying that, is that the only mature man, the only mature man that we're striving after is the person of Jesus. And look at his fullness. Look at his a stature. He is who we are striving to be like, and he is who we are striving to know, which means this, that we need to know Jesus's word. But to know his word means we have to read it. We have to read it. We have to spend time with it. We have to know it. But then also we need to know his character. We need to know Jesus's character, which means, yeah, we got to know his word. But we also need to know this. How does his word intersect with my life? How does Jesus' word intersect with your life? This is what we need to, to find out, to know his character. I have explained it to your teenagers like this, so I'll try to do it like this as well. Uh, some of our teenagers like to go to Sonic pretty often. Yes? like to go to Sonic, and sometimes they'll bring it to the church. Like on a Wednesday night, they'll come in, and there's a few of them, but distinctly one of them, who if they walk in to an encounter on Wednesday night and they have Sonic, I'm like 99.9% .9 sure one of them belongs to me, and I didn't even ask them for it. I can predict what they're, it's going to be Dr. Pepper, by the way. I can predict what they're going to hand me. I can predict their actions uh, because, well, they've done it before. And several, several, several times. And they keep giving me Dr. Peppers without me even asking. And I don't even have to ask, are you going to Sonic or not? It's like, yeah, they probably are. So um, I can predict their um, actions because of what they have already done in the past. Makes them predictable. Makes them consistent. In the same way, hope this translates, that understanding and knowing Jesus' words means that we understand how it intersects with our lives, but then we pivot when they do. Meaning, when Jesus' words intersect 
We can say because of his consistency and because of his, um, of what he has said before, that he, not only will he say that again, but I will listen maybe this time. I will hear what he has to say to me and I will trust his word because of how it has gotten me through this in the past. So when Jesus' word intersects with my life, you're given an option. You're given an option to keep going in this direction and feel uh, tugged by Jesus' word, or you have a second option to pivot and say, Jesus, this is your word, and this is the direction I'm going to go, because this is the way I want to go. And because I know your character, and I know that you have good things set out before me, good deeds, but also you are for my good. Lord, I want to follow you in this situation. Y'all tracking with me? So knowing Jesus' words means that we know his character, and knowing his character means that we trust his leading. So number three leads us to verse 14. Verse 14 says, so that, again, we, we want to be unified and we want to know Jesus, but then verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we want to have sound doctrine. We want to have sound doctrine. Here's what I think about uh, when I think about doctrine. I think about that game you played in recess in elementary school. It's simple. It's got a pole with a string and a ball. What am I talking about? You guys know what tetherball is? Just checking. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, I haven't played it since I was in fifth grade, probably. But uh, tetherball, you've got one ball that is not going anywhere no matter what happens to it. Because it's tethered to a firm foundation. What does it mean to have sound doctrine? It means that we, in this place, in this church, we teach the word of God not as a suggestion, but as authority. As, as authoritative over our lives, which means it shapes how we think, it shapes what we believe, it shapes what we desire, and therefore shapes what we behave. This is the difference between doctrine and knowledge. We want to have knowledge of Jesus, but also doctrine means because of that knowledge, I live differently. And doctrine points us towards righteousness. It does not point us towards morality. I think of morality based on the world's metric. Morality is this. You take a bow and arrow, you shoot it up into the sky, and then you grab a target, and you chase the arrow, and you try to catch the arrow in the target. And then maybe you get nearby, or maybe not, and then you say, bullseye, I did it. Doctrine is different. Righteousness is different. Righteousness is, there's the target, here's my bow, I'm going to pull back and aim and shoot for that. That is righteousness as God sees it. Not us trying to bend or trying to make our actions sound acceptable or sound good. No, it is, this is what God has said. This is what God has declared as righteous and therefore I am going to chase and strive and literally aim for that. So having sound doctrine means that our lives look different, both privately and publicly. Having sound doctrine means that we are tethered to something. Tethered to something with a firm foundation that shapes the way we believe and shapes the way we live. So, at least three things that we can find out of this passage. Things that we do, ministry things that we do in here. But what if they don't impact you tomorrow? 
What if they don't change the way you think about when you wake up on Tuesday morning? Then why are we all just like sleeping in right now or playing golf? What we do here as a church family has to, has to, has to matter for tomorrow and for every other day of the week. Has to matter. Has to change how you think about trials. Has to change how you think about joy. The way you interact with your world matters. So yeah, we have ministry in the church. You can be launched in this building. We've talked about this the last few weeks. So many things that you can volunteer for. So many things you can step into. Consistent things. One-off things. I could give you an entire list and we have. In fact, there's some cards in the back. I think they're still there. If you want to look and plug in, you can. Volunteering. Uh, so maybe you heard that unity of the faith. And you thought, maybe I don't have that. What does it mean to attain to unity of faith? Well, uh, maybe it means that you officially and, uh, and um, officially step in as a member of our church. We have a membership class coming up in a few weeks. What are you doing there? It's not like you're signing a dotted line and then signing up your whole 401ks and giving us a social security number. That's not what's happening. It is simply you saying to us that, hey, I want to be a member of the family. I'm a, ma- I'm a member of the family of God. Let me officially say you, I belong to you guys. If you want to uh, learn about that, you can send us an email really easily. Other things you can step into are uh, like one-off things that us pastors all the time, we love to be, we love to get the text or love to get the call that says, hey, anything you need, let me know. Because we will always, always, always have something that we need. And if not, we'll make something up. I'm serious. <laughs> Parents say, you need anything for Wednesday? And I say, yeah, we were planning on doing pizza or something. I'm like as of 10 seconds ago, like, uh, thanks for the offer. Uh, stepping into those little things, they do more than you think. Bless other people, and when you bless other people, you bless yourself and you build yourself up. Uh, as this pastor says, you build yourself up in love. Uh, small plug, because next Sunday after church, we have an interest meeting for uh, our mission trip to Nicaragua that's coming up in March. If you want to be literally launched in a plane, we have opportunities for you to do that coming up in March. We want to take a, a team of 25 people and interest meeting after the, after the service next week. We'd love to have you there. No commitment thing, just learn about the trip. Uh, but that's plugged. Cool. Okay, uh, ministry in your church. These are things you can do. Ministry in your world. Ministry in your world is, is, honestly, it's harder to define because there are so many, there are millions of different things that all of us combined uh, can step into. So we need to be about ministry in our world, not waiting for spring break to come next year. Tomorrow, when you step back into your schools, when you step back into your jobs, when you step back into your homes. Ministry in your world, again, because what we do in here has to impact what we do out there. Having unity in the faith, having knowledge of Jesus, and having sound doctrine um, has to impact the way you live your life. So I want to do a quick exercise just to see something, and maybe you can try to see and gauge, do I have any skin in the game in this? Uh, I want you to raise your hand uh, in here if you are in this room because at some point in your life, somebody invited you to church. At some point, raise your hand if that's you and put it up high and proud. What? what? Come on, that's awesome. Um, okay, you can put it down. That's great. Self reflection here. And if you put your hand up, you're not dismissed from this, by the way. Um, do you have any skin in the game there? Have you ever invited anybody 
to church? Or have you done it recently? Have you, um, we do little things like back to school bashes and family nights at VBS. Why do we do those? Yeah, to connect to each other, but also to give you a reason to invite people into what we're doing here. To make it really, really easy also. That's why we do those things. Because they are your neighbors and they are people that we will never get to meet. That the people in your row will never get to meet. Um, one, of, one of our small groups here, one of, one of our families here, I won't name them, but uh, they, th- their entire neighborhood street has been engaged for the gospel primarily through their kids playing out on the street. And they were presented, these parents, with major opportunities to love and care for uh, their uh, neighbors, for their street, because kids need to have fun together. You never know where you might be able to step into for the sake of the gospel. Um, And you will be built up and you will be encouraged and you will be strengthened and empowered by stepping into those opportunities. Uh, So ministry in your world, again, it's harder to define. However, it is evidence of what is happening here in our church. And you can see on the screen that we want to be built up in every way. If you read the last, last few verses, last few sections of, here, of, of this passage, we want to speak the truth up in love, and we want to grow up in every way into him who is the head. What does that mean? It means, yeah, let's grow up internally. Let's mature internally as a body of individuals. But I also think in every way means that when we have space, which we always do, let's fill that space with spiritual infants because the church... The Big C Church and our church is uniquely equipped to raise up the spiritual infant, but also care for the spiritual grandparent and great-parent. Great-grandparent. Uniquely equipped to do this. And there will always be space when spiritual infants become spiritual kids and spiritual teenagers. What do we have? We have space to take in new spiritual babies. So let's be about getting them here. What we do here matters out there because we need to get them in here. To encounter the God of this word, to encounter the gospel. We just prayed for the lost. I hope one, uh, at least one person popped into your brain. Remember a few years ago we did the Who's Your One campaign. Uh, we don't have to put that on the screen for you guys to have a one person to pray for and share the gospel with. Uh, who's that person or group of people that pop up in your brain? When you say, yeah, they need to hear the gospel, uh, who, how are they going to hear the gospel if you don't step into it? If you are not obedient. My great uncle used to say this. He said, don't ever say to God that something needs to be done unless you are willing to become the individual to do it. That's obedience. Obedience is seeing a need and plugging yourself in. Not waiting for the, the literal sky to come apart and God to shine a beam down and say, I want you to do this. God, in his spirit, shows us needs. He shows us doors and shows us opportunities to step into. So who, when you think about the loss, who pops into your brain? Being launched into your world, being launched into this world for ministry can look like a whole thing, a whole, a whole bunch of things. But what it can't look like is being neighborly, being kind, but then when you get right up to it, you never verbally and boldly share the gospel. 
It's like getting the lawnmower out, putting the gas in, taking the cap off, priming it, but then never pulling the cord. Like, let's do the thing that he has called us to do. Jesus, go and make disciples. Let's do that thing. Step into it. And then don't look at the outcome. Faith, you know, obedience is not about choosing the outcome. Obedience is about taking the next step, the one next step. And God will bless that effort. God will see that. Because what we do in here really matters and we need to get the lost because we have space and we have a family for the lost. So what we're going to do is um, move into a time of communion so you can close up, put underneath whatever you need to do. We're going to move into a time of communion. Why do we take communion? Why do we do this? If, you, if, you, if you're newer to church or newer to this kind of church, this can be kind of a weird thing, taking communion. We do this because we want to attain to the unity of the faith. One Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one faith. Attaining to unity of faith means that we see these elements and we partake of them together to say, yeah, we depend on the Lord and this is what unites us together. The gospel unites us um, together. Uh, so if you look around the room, there is a table in every corner and up here. You will, uh, here in just a minute, we'll get up as family units or whoever you came to church with, get up and walk and you can pick up. Remember to grab both cups. They're stacked together and you can just take the elements uh, together. Well, one more time, why do we do this? Because we want to attain to the unity of faith. And this is a symbol and this is a means of God's grace to us to be able to preach to each other and remind ourselves of what God has done, both on the cross and out of the grave, to give us life. So uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, brothers, if you're going to be helping us to serve community, you can make your way. But let me pray for us, and then we'll continue worship this morning. Uh, Jesus, we love you. I'm thankful for the way you have set up your church. Uh, Jesus, I pray that um, we be able to look at these gifts that you have given each of us, spiritual gifts and fruits of the Spirit, and be able to identify the ways that you have uniquely empowered and equipped us to live a ministry-minded life outside of this building, outside of this place. Well, we want to see you glorified. We want to see you known. So, Lord, give us the boldness to step into situations and step into relationships and step into even trials armed with the gospel that redeems because we know that you are powerful to do that. So, Lord, as we take these elements, would you uh, push us? Would you remind us of both what you have done for our sin, but then also how you have liberated us, but then given us your grace. Lord, we love you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.